how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters. Did Home Alone Rowan John Hughes' career? The greatest movie never made? And how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Wes O'Donnell is a writer, a TED speaker, a multi-branch military veteran, a journalist, and a speaker for veterans. But above all else, he's a storyteller. As such, Wes writes on a little bit of everything, from military issues to personal productivity to intermittent fasting to content strategy to data journalism and even unstructured data, along with how to become a public speaker. In his latest book, Own the Crowd, the author discusses the moments in life that must be pursued. West believes, quote, public speaking is much more than delivering content from a podium. If you want your ideas to be memorable, you must become a performer. In this interview, West discusses emotional responses behind the written word, his work as a veteran speaker, why he started doing IF, and why the best ways to be productive are actually priceless. If you enjoyed this interview, make sure to join millions of viewers for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles. I actually joined the military in uh, 1997 uh, in the U.S. Army, and uh, about 2001 decided to switch over to the Air Force. So I spent about 10 years total in the military in two different branches, and uh, decided to get out and try my luck in the civilian world and uh, somehow stumbled into uh, writing and filmmaking as uh, as paying careers. So I consider myself extremely, extremely fortunate from that point of view. And you've got, I've done a little bit of background on you. You've got kind of a portfolio career. Would you agree you're, you're kind of writing, you're working on some films, I've seen your, your TED talk as well. How do you kind of uh, balance all that? Do you give yourself a label as a career? So, you know, Brock, that's, that's kind of interesting you say that. And I, I, <laughs> I guess if I were to label myself anything, um, it's probably just as a, somebody who enjoys telling stories. I, I love to take people on a journey, whether that's through uh, something that I write or 
going to speak to an audience or making film. It, it's all three of those those areas that I really uh, enjoy kind of fall under the same this, the same silo there, and that's one of storytelling. So if, if I were to label myself, that would be it. How do you decide when to kind of dig into a subject? Like I first uh, discovered you reading an article about you're doing 23-hour intermittent fasting. I've also seen some some content you do like more military-based around PTSD. How do you decide when something is important to become an article or it's maybe more important to become a film or so, something like that? Uh, you know, it, it, what it really comes down to is when something – uh, triggers inside me an emotional response. That's my cue to say something about it. And uh, so, for for a documentary film that I'm currently working on about how the Vietnam veterans were treated when they returned home 50 years ago, uh, in contrast to my generation of veterans, you know, we're given parades. Everybody's saying thank you for your service, um, but those guys were treated very poorly. And in most cases, it wasn't the veterans' fault. It wasn't their fault. Uh, it was just the, the, the times that they lived in, in 69, 70, and 71. So when, when something triggers that emotion inside me, I've got to say something about it. And uh, you know that's one example. Um, the intermittent fasting article was, was another great example that uh, I, I said, you know what, I, I have a few of, of friends and relatives that I've spoken to about this, that this has really helped out. So why don't I write something about it in a very informal kind of joking voice? And that's, uh, that's how that article came to be. How do you kind of move between those, those different voices, as you just said, it seems like you're writing something that's, that's kind of vulnerable, but it's more about your personal story. You know, fasting is awkward with social settings. You can be a little more comical there. How do you balance between that voice versus like the voice of something more serious in the in your veteran area? Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely a great question. So you know, I, I just uh, I just wrote an article for uh, a blog called In Military, and it was about this Russian satellite that maneuvered itself. It changed its orbit to shadow an American spy satellite. And what is it doing up there? Is it just watching us? Is it preparing for an attack? Um, so shifting my focus over to something national security based or something that has a lot of gravity to it, I kind of just uh, alter my voice to the point where I, I, I think the subject matter necessitates that I, I get the seriousness of whatever I'm talking about as a subject through in my voice. But, you know, if, if you're asking who the authentic me, you know, who, who's the authentic Wes O'Donnell, really the closest to my vulnerable, authentic voice is that one in that fasting article, because I was kind of laying it all out on the table there. And so, so my kind of, I, I'm, I've done some of this myself. I'm doing around 18 hours, which I, I feel is manageable and I can kind of make that work with different social events. How do you see, what was the main goal of this? Were you feeling a sickness? Were you looking for productivity boosts? Like, how does it help you as a writer as well? Yeah, so for me, uh, it was definitely, it started off with some medical issues. And I mean, I, I left the military. I was, uh, as soon as I got out of the military, I worked for a, a little German company called Siemens. And they had me traveling just nonstop no time for exercise, eating the worst food you can possibly imagine, you know, airport, uh, airport fast food all the time. And 
I, as a result of my, of my weight now, I wasn't obese, but I was, uh, I mean, medically obese, technically, I guess, from a doctor's perspective, but I, I didn't consider myself. I was just a kind of a, a big chunky guy. Uh, and I didn't feel good. I was always out of breath. I was always, uh, angry. My mood was revolving around when I last had calories. And I realized that what, food was doing to me was very similar to what cigarettes were doing to me when I was a smoker in the military. And, uh, and <laughs> it's funny because I had a buddy of mine read this article and, uh, he actually said, uh, uh you're, you're treating food like, like you're talking about cigarettes. And I'm like, well, yeah, but when I, when I stopped eating breakfast and lunch, I felt great. I mean, I felt better than I had felt in years. And uh, just to answer your question along with that came this mental focus that I hadn't had before. You know, I'd had this brain fog and the clarity that my brain had after fasting uh, really opened the door to a lot of creative pursuits like writing. So I've tried all kinds of things um, like you're, I'm sure you have as well. It seems like the people who I kind of follow, like uh, maybe Tim Ferriss or Ben Greenfield, they do the most extreme examples, but after maybe 10 years of these things, they kind of come back to more simple and basically free things like fasting or cold exposure or just getting more sleep. These things don't really cost anything. Do you think some of that is overlooked because there's nothing behind it, because there's not a pill to take? You know, there's no money behind these free examples. No, I, I think that is a that is a phenomenal point that you're making because, you know, as as consumers, as Americans in a capitalist society, which is which is great, we always attach a value to something, and it goes back to you know some companies putting an artificially higher price on something to make it seem more valuable. So when you have something free like this, you know it doesn't cost anything to skip breakfast or lunch. In fact, it's saving you money. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who are uh, suspicious, like you know it can't be. It can't be that easy. You know, I, I, there has to be a pill out there that can uh, enhance my, my focus or concentration, you know, modafinil or something like that. But uh, really, that's, that's, you know, I, I think you nailed it. That's what it comes down to is uh, having these free options available to there's really nothing stopping you from getting started tomorrow. And like I said earlier, you kind of you wear a lot of hats in your different professions. What does a given day look like for you, or what's an ideal weekday look like for you? Yeah, for me, it, it, it it's a little tricky because uh, I, I guess about once a month I get paid to go speak to a company about hiring veterans. So uh, companies call me in to talk to their HR departments about why hiring a veteran is good for business, and I show them how to onboard, retain and recruit veterans. Um, those weeks of me traveling to go do that are a little bit different, but I guess my, my standard day is, uh, kind of getting out of bed at, at, uh, I don't know, six or 7 AM and grabbing a cup of coffee, going down to the home office and, uh, starting to kind of brainstorm what I'm going to be writing for the day, start planning out my, uh, my writing. And some days I don't get any writing done. You know, some days I end up going down the YouTube rabbit hole where I'll end up uh, getting caught into this endless loop of watching tutorial videos on like how to, how to edit Adobe Audition audio files or some ridiculous stuff. So um, 
but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And that, and uh, I'm not sure if it's because I work from home, if it's easier or harder to accomplish the intermittent fasting. Um, I imagine it's probably easier because I don't have the social pressure of everybody going to lunch, you know, at noon in, a, in an office environment. Um, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to think about that one. Maybe that's the next article. How to kind of defeat those social pressures to to eat. There's an app, um, I think it's called Zero from Kevin Rose, and I'm trying that just as kind of to get started, but I noticed that when you look at it, like I'm doing an 18-hour version, and it'll say you're fasting with 570,000 people, and that kind of that reverses the social obligation. That, oh, well, I'm involved with this versus you know the donut or whatever it is. Um, so that might be something we could you could touch on. I'm looking at, I've re- I watched your TED Talk earlier. You talked about not being a data journalist, and you talked about unstructured data. How do you kind of look at life? How do you start to filter these? There's so much information. Like, what led you to intermittent fasting versus something else? How do you know when you've got enough material? How do you kind of filter out where your next source or project will be? Yeah, so that's that's a, that's a tough question. You know, for, for me, um, intermittent fasting was the result of an article I read. And this was an article like in a paper magazine um, from years ago. I think it was a Discover magazine when they used to sell on you know, Walmart shelves. And uh, it talked about the way our, our ancestors ate and performed. And, and it struck me that all of us, all of, hum- all of humanity, we used to be professional athletes, the equivalent of today's professional athletes. We were all in this incredible shape. Of course, that was the necessity of hunting and gathering and only eating when you actually killed something. Um, and it, it sort of galvanized my mind to, to pursue that. And um, now we have a name for it. It's called intermittent fasting. But back when I read that article, it wasn't really uh, – in the mainstream, it wasn't circulating around with that popularity that it is today. But, but yeah, you know, we, just like you said, we get bombarded with so much information and there's so much fake everything out there in our society. And it really comes down to all of us to decide what's authentic. Because when we come on, come whether it's whether we meet somebody who's authentic or we read an article that's authentic, I think all of us are craving this authenticity in society now. Uh, it's like a breath of fresh air when you're walking through the woods in North Carolina and you finally come on it into a clearing. And uh, it's just like, oh, wow, it's, it's beautiful. You, know, you have this breath of fresh air. And that's the way we feel when we encounter authenticity. Um, and so that sort of dictates a lot of my information filtering on a daily basis. As a writer, uh, if you're trying to look for that authenticity, like created on the page, is that usually just simplification? Is it just being kind of vulnerable? Do you have to really dig deep, like, you know, write long and then edit down? Or how do you kind of see it out of your own, your own work? Yeah, I've, I've never really examined my own process. That's very interesting to even think about it for, for me. Um, you know, it's, I, I guess vulnerability does have a big role to play here because, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're sharing something that's personal, and of course you don't want to overshare, you know, there is such a thing as too much information, but when you're sharing something that's vulnerable and that connects with 
uh, other people who are going through something similar. I think uh, there's definitely a lot of authenticity in that. And I'll tell you this, I, I, uh, I write a lot of articles for, you know, like uh, in military and space and homeland security related issues, but this intermittent fasting articles, uh, the amount of people that have shared it really took me by surprise. I mean, I, I was, I was honestly in shock the first few days. I'm like, wow, this, this, I don't want to call it viral, but it's like a mini viral, at least on medium. And it, uh, has a lot of people that have chimed in and said, Hey, I'm doing the same thing. Great article. Thanks for, uh, talking about it. And it made me realize, just like you said, on, on your, on the app that you're looking at, that there, there are a lot more of us. I just don't think that we have a voice, uh, a consolidated voice. I think there's a, there's a lot of us talking, but. Um, so tell me a little bit about what unstructured data means. I, I read um, Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, last year, and I kind of got from his book that maybe we're moving away from the hypothesis and guessing and then trying things out to just using tons of data and then coming to the analysis rather than trying to guess something beforehand. It's kind of the reverse system. Is that something that you've kind of found? How can we use that in our everyday lives to, to improve our own lives individually? You know, I, I think that's, that's a great idea, and that, that speaks directly to the sheer amount of data. And that's, of course, where, we, where the term big data comes from, uh, the sheer amount of data that's being generated on a daily basis um, from uh, tweets and Facebook and emails and text messages. And it's about to explode exponentially once the Internet of Things really takes off. Once, For some reason, we start connecting everyday household objects to the Internet. Uh, this unstructured data is really going to uh, become an issue. And I like to think that, you know, historians today, when we're looking back a thousand years ago, we're trying to we – we would kill for a uh, firsthand account of somebody's daily life, uh, you know, in, in – in the, in the year 1000, but uh, a thousand years from now, they're going to be drinking from the fire hose because we're putting everything into the historical record out there as a species. So the unstructured data is just uh, this, this massive pile that now we all kind of have to wade through um, as people to find, to find that success. Um, you know, and that TED talk was really about how, uh, how when we turn that unstructured data into visualizations that our brains can instantly recognize because our, our brains love things that are aesthetically pleasing. We love beauty. We love art. And by turning data into something pretty, our brains make an instant connection with it, and we can understand it uh, much more quickly than looking through endless Excel spreadsheets or numbers or letters. Um, and I, I think that's what we all have to do, right? So we all have to just find that beauty in our daily lives and, and not to get too, uh, too hippie on you, but <laughs> I think we need to, we need to look for that. And I think that's the key to, uh, a lot of our data issues. So I don't want to go, you know, too far off what we're talking about, but are anything, does anything worry you about this? Like I know a lot of people worry about, you know, their cell phones being tracked off towers or, or things like that, or, um, just having so much information about the public. Should we just not worry and kind of use it as is? And there's also the problem of, you know, most articles today just say that, 
you know, this mineral is twice as bad as something, but they don't really give you any more information. They just kind of, you know, it's double or it's twice. It's not really specific. Like, how can we kind of better to get the real information behind some of this data that we do have now? Yeah. So, you know, I, when, it, when it comes to your, your second question about, you know, not knowing the efficacy or the risks associated with a particular thing, you know, my, my, my grandma uh, passed away now from Texas. I'm from Texas. So she, she used to tell me that everything causes cancer. And she was joking, but it really is true. I mean, if we do a study on everything, what we'll find is that there's a risk in everything. And the only thing you can do really is uh, live the best life you can. Um, you know, as, as far as our cell phones go and our personal data that we've given up voluntarily, to social media, uh, nobody reads the terms and conditions. I, I do believe there's an issue there that I think is is a, a huge topic. Um, but I do think that that our data should be something that is is a right. I think data privacy for us should be a right. Um, and I I have worked in the government, and I I know very well the capabilities of the government. And I it, true, if you have nothing to hide, then um, you, sh you shouldn't worry about them going through your pictures and your cell phone, but but uh, for most people, I think that that we just have to vote properly, live our lives, and trust uh, that uh, we're not going to get cancer from taking a particular supplement or uh, being tracked too often from using our cell phones. Okay, well, thanks again for your time. Is there anything we missed, or would you like to tell us a little bit more about? the current documentary you're working on or anything else where people can find you and that kind of thing? Oh, thanks, Brock. I mean, I really appreciate your time. Um, I love chatting. I, uh, I think the documentary is in, in its early stages. I'm, I'm, we're still ironing out whether we want to tell it as a documentary or as a narrative story. Um, but I did just release a book called Own the Crowd, which is sort of a pocket guide on how to give the best speech of your life, whether it's a toast at a wedding or a job interview or a TED Talk. Um, and uh, I think that could be helpful to a lot of people. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles and give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.